okay. Maybe you're noticing the pleasant Vedna of the evening temperature and the cool breeze. (laughs) Um, We're going to move into another inquiry. And this afternoon we explored what Temple called collective Vedna management, the more social level of Vedna and how that can take on, how cultures can take on, systems take on Vedna management. So that's where we want you to look a little more. You had a little chance to investigate that this afternoon and we want to look a little more, look a little deeper. And so you're going to look at what you're aware of in this collective Veda, Vedna management, like what you're aware of around it. And what do you see there in terms of the systems that you're in? Family system, at work, communities, cultures that you're in, political organizations, the way you socially engage. You know, what what are you noticing about this for yourself? How are you participating in collective Vedna management. And feel free to take notes on some of what I'm saying as part of, if you want to refer during your inquiry back to this. We're going to do a different inquiry style that I'll set up in a minute. But this we want you to be able to speak to these different dimensions of this level of collect, collective Vedna management. Um, what feelings come up for you as you're talking about it? So more personal Vedna management is when I'm with my mother and she says something in a certain way and then I have this unpleasant feeling inside and my reaction to it. It's a bit more personal. When I was partnered some years ago and my partner had children and I liked the house a certain way, and that family system had their style of how they managed the environment, I wanted to enforce my Vedna management on the family system, which created some dukkha. (laughs) And we had to have some meetings and agreements about that. Um, I noticed as I was inquiring a little bit more into this today that a way I participate is I was telling this story last night about aging and brown spots. And I realized after I told the story, I thought, oh yeah, that's my grandmother's Vedna and my mother's Vedna about aging and skin. That's also a whole collective attitude towards skin that is mostly maybe coming from white people and white women. I got curious about that. Why why do we have this idea that skin should be one color and shouldn't have dark spots and why is there mass billions of dollars of cosmetics into keeping the skin fair and you know this and that and I thought wow I'm participating in a whole collective Vedna management around skin color and what does that mean um, for people of color and how is that impacting you know our connection and how is that 
how is that marginalizing communities? And so that's more of what we're looking for. What are the bigger ways, right? And I could go on and on in terms of political or social. So whatever comes up for you is where we want you to look. So your home environment, work, communities, socially, globally, not just the content of it, also what comes up for you as you're talking about it in real time right now. I notice as I'm talking about it, I'm feeling relief because we get to name this and I feel more present and more here. Or I notice I'm talking about it, I'm feeling some grief or some despair or some hopelessness. It's never going to change. Whatever you notice in, your, in, in the larger mind state of what's happening during the inquiry. Um, so I'll sort of tell you how we're going to do it. Did you have something to add about what do you want them to look at or what do you want to inquire into? If you're feeling like there are too many options, it's only to kind of let you find which, um, which of these options um, is relevant for you so that you don't have to worry about getting it right um, there are many ways you can explore, not just you in your frame and how you're working with pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, but whenever there's you and something else, someone else, there starts to be a system, and you want to see if there's a competition for what strategies, competition or collusion around how you're um, working with unpleasant, pleasant, and neutral. And is that collusion wise? Is it wakeful? Or is that collusion um, part of what makes it difficult to meet the underlying Vedana? An example, I think the hospice system is a wise collective choice on how to deal with uh, the pain and the aging and dying process. So that's a collective system. No one person has to do it all. You can actually work together and there's a whole beautiful philosophy so you can meet the dying process consciously. Not all collusion, not all um, systems are um, confused. So you can talk about the ones that are healthy. You can also try to wake up to the ones you're participating in that aren't so healthy. Anytime that I'm not in the dominant group, it becomes much more clear what the strategies are and how it's, I struggle in relationship to them. In North America, because I'm white, male, straight, affluent, that question, I don't run into it that much because I'm actually, the world has been kind of set up collectively so that I don't run into much discomfort. A lot of advertising, I see me in the advertising as successful. There's sort of a sense like, you know, when men talk, they don't get interrupted. So, yeah, I just kind of stream through the privileges. It's, so it's harder to wake up like, oh, how am I participating? And it's actually a little bit unnerving. Like, I'm actually participating. I'm actually benefiting unconsciously from this. Do I want to do that? So waking up to where you might be benefiting from a system that's been created where you benefit, but at other people's expense. 
this is looking at the consequence of conscious made in the management and unconscious made in the management. Is that helpful? I hope. <laughs> Anyways, the, the, it's quite a vast, um, you can go in a lot of directions. So don't worry about the fact you could go in a lot of directions. Any direction you go is sort of um, actively exploring what, um, when you have at least, you, know, you could say two people, but it's also um, my relationship to the environment. Because I like the comfort of driving a car, that I'm managing my Vedana at the expense of the environment. And is that how I actually want to ma- manage my Vedana at the expense of the ecosystem? So that's another possibility. But again, don't be overwhelmed by the possibilities. They're just to show you possibilities, whichever way you want to go with it um, will work. So you can see there's a lot of room for you to explore whatever comes up. And again, um, so we're going to do this in a different style than we've done it before. We'll get in groups of three, and you'll each have a chance to monologue for seven minutes. So you'll be speaking whatever comes up around this topic. Two people will be listening, witnessing, and then we'll rotate. So there won't be any feedback. There won't be any discussion. People won't be responding to you, two people will be witnessing as you explore this. And as you explore it, you know, you can include whatever's happening, like there's too many things to think about. I don't want to think about this. Or I don't even want to think about collective Vedna management. I came here to, you know, learn about mindfulness of the body, or I really wanted to be on a silent retreat. What the heck did I do signing up for this? Whatever... (laughs) Maybe, am I talking about my experience? No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) So whatever comes up, or, oh, I just feel so, like, you know, at home in this kind of inquiry, this is what I've been longing for. So, or blank, nothing, and you don't say anything for however long. So there's just no expectation, right? Have to produce something, have to do something to your remark, don't have to entertain your two people. If that comes up, you can say that. You can say, wow, I notice I really want to entertain you right now and say something witty, and that's bringing up a whole thing, and explore that. So, Okay. So groups of three, I think, to be easiest. Um, and I didn't do the numbers, so let's just see how it goes. You three, and you three, and then there'll be three of you here, and you'd go this a lot? You want to mix yourselves up and get three? Yeah, mix yourselves up, find two other people and find a spot in the room. Yeah.
Okay, so just let yourself settle for a moment. And the person with the longest hair, you'll start. And you'll have seven minutes. So just, I'm going to review, because there were a lot of questions in there. So I'm just going to say it again. You're looking at what you're aware of in this in this exploration of collective Veda management. What are you aware of? What's coming up for you around this? And specifically, um, what areas are you seeing this in? What areas or systems do you see this in? How is it for you to see it? And what feelings are coming up or what's happening right now as you talk about it? Anything around that, okay? You can begin.
So the person to your right comes next. And you'll have seven minutes to explore this topic.
last round.
bowing to your partners, and you can return to your place in the circle. What did you notice and what did you discuss about collective Vedana management? There's some going on right here. This is collective Vedana management. (laughs) This is the precepts. Many insects have been killed to suit the comfort of the larger being. And that, when felt as a precept, it's like, I wonder if we need to kill these little beings for our comfort, or if there's another strategy. So here's another strategy. It can be overwhelming. There's now, I mean, there's so many things that um, a heart can connect to that are feel very urgent. Um, and getting overwhelmed is one uh, one way we manage contact is like, I just can't. And so then how do we then develop conscious systems to have a more healthy relationship to Vedna. My brother will not look at the news. He's done now, I think, he's a very politically active person, but he was watching himself burn alive with what he was witnessing. And so he says, I get enough, it just comes at me in all directions. I actually don't need to cultivate more because for my system, I just get overwhelmed. And now he's doing much better, and he's still um, he's still as active and as productive as he would have been, but he's not overwhelmed. So that's one strategy, a personal strategy. Looking out for the news, which can be a great source of information and a great tool for showing us what's going on, and it also can be an unconscious thing driven by profit to um, fear-induce. So... Um, it's one thing to wake up in regard to. And I do think we do need to not just look at the, the harmful patterns. In this school of, uh, of Buddhism, 
it's easier to have contact with some of the first noble truths or suffering and there are all these hindrances and we can't be present. But there's also um, development of the four Brahma Viharas and there's the development of the beauty of the ethical mind. And there are beautiful systems too, so we have to be a little careful about um, being some overwhelmed and then sinking in relationships of finding good balance. And that's actually healthy Vedana management when done consciously. When done unconsciously, the mind will collapse to find its way out versus consciously saying, I know my limit and I actually need to. When I worked in the homeless shelter for, I worked in the shelter for homeless and abused teenagers, I had to walk with my dog on the beach and I had to get distance from it. And the woman who is one of the most incredible um, social activists for homeless teenagers, she lived up in Seattle and she lived on a ferry over to Whidbey Island. And she said every time she went over on the ferry, if she found she was still holding a kid, she sent them back because she wanted the water to be a buffer so she could actually do long-term service when I worked for the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, that was a big part of what I was doing, was training really impassioned service providers and activists who were burning out how to do long-term self-care and project care in relationship to suffering and how to make sure you don't lose your joy because you start really getting crispy. Um, and then you actually start being compulsive around the burnout, the impatience, the, the overwhelm. So there's a whole thing there. So I'm, I hope you did find things to celebrate. Yeah. yeah. So we can be mindful 
it's another, it's a completely different discourse. Yeah, well, explore it on your own and see if that's true. I've explored it on my own. I've seen that I have a disagreement. And the disagreement is my own experience. It's not a belief system. I've looked into the stream of my mind. And what I've found is that if I'm not tracking my mind, there's plenty of greed, hatred, and delusion presenting itself as wisdom. And as I wake up more and more, I can see deluded thinking that used to pass itself as uh, wakeful thinking, or it was just completely unexamined. And as I examine it, the mindfulness, if you're in full-blown mindfulness, then you probably would be aware of, of, of everything. But since we're not fully awake, then there's probably some greed, hatred, delusion passing through that you have to grow your capacity to be aware of. I talk about collective Vedana management, either personal. It's right there, like in the the plate of food you have, what you eat and how much you put on the plate. Some of it's reflection on health, but some of it could be, I want more of that. I often will put more on my plate than actually is healthy because my my mouth is bigger than, my eyes are bigger than my mouth? No, what's the stomach? (laughs) Eyes are bigger than my mouth. I'm a Disney character. I'm a Disney princess. My eyes are bigger than my <laughs> my eyes are bigger than my waist. <laughs> um, <laughs> ocean blue eyes, larger than the sky. So, um, what what is interesting is is that uh, for me is that for a long time this was just personal mind watching, just like watching me construct my suffering or not, and not seeing that there was another layer happening and then choices I was making on another layer. So just to kind of out myself, um, I was uh, a, a fairly new teacher at Sphere Rock, but they invited me to lead the dedicated practitioner program, two-year program with kind of um, a lot of students that have experience. And so my hope is just to do as good a job as the previous year. And just to, if I could just repeat what happened, it'd be great. And then questions came up in the in DPP four about how well we had addressed issues of cultural diversity. And I was like, yeah, I think that we we did some, but not enough. So this question came up: Well, why don't you have more teachers of color in your program? And it's just like I well, I don't know them. So if I didn't think about it, the people, I I wonder if so-and-so's free, I wonder if so-and-so's free, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so, the people who are coming to mind were all white teachers. Unexamined, I would, in running the program, I would just keep asking white teachers. And I I could do that for a long time, not recognizing that there are unconscious forces that are keeping me to choose a pattern of having only white teachers. And then because the DPP program is for senior students, and in our tradition, the people who are easily impressive are some of the male teachers. They have sort of this, it's easier to point at who the scholars are, it's easier to point at people who give those really profound lectures. And so if you don't watch it, 
suddenly you've invited, you fill your entire teaching staff with white men. And then you back up and say, whoa, that's a lot of white men. So you end up inviting some white women. <laughs> and it's like, okay, now we seem to have it balanced. Yeah, do we have it balanced? Yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, looks balanced to me. And then you say, well, it's still pretty white and it's still pretty straight. How come that keeps on happening? Unexamined, they'd be like, well, I, I don't quite know all the forces, but these are the people who are qualified. And then see, actually, I am managing my comfort because this happened once. Um, I've been really taking this on to look at the blindness that comes with privilege. And it's really, again, I said it before, if someone, if someone gave me $1,000 every day, I'd notice it. I'm getting a lot of privilege every day and I don't notice it. So like, how could I get that much privilege every day and not notice it? So it's, just, it's been fascinating to me as a, an operation of delusion. And I was at a conference um, where we were talking about this. And I put myself in a passive role. Like, I don't understand where all this delusion is coming from. And this person said, there's choice in it. There is choice. And I was framing it like I feel like somehow a, a victim of this delusion. But I started looking, it's like the mind, it could go somewhere and it just deflects towards comfort. It deflects the, that'd be uncomfortable. Or, you know, here's this um, person of color teacher, but the way she teaches, I just don't know if it fits with this culture. Well, what culture? Well, it turns out this white culture. I, and then you start examining that some of your choices actually have a lot of this going on in it. But unexamined, that ends up reproducing white culture at Spirit Rock. So having really looked at it, um, I know in my mind stream and in the mind stream of other people who are looking, that it's not a belief system that actually can see that there's an urge for comfort. And that urge for comfort is also making choices, just like you're making choices how much food to put on your plate. You're making choices that are reflecting your comfort. And that reflecting of comfort can be unconscious. And then it ends up reproducing um, cultural dominant patterns if you're in a privileged group. So it's, it's from investigation that I've seen it. And you may have investigated your mind stream and say, yeah, it's not, that's not in there. That um, Vedna and mindfulness are not about the choices I'm making. Or um, there's not confusion. So. It's not? You're saying it's not?
temperature controlled, just, you know, like, totally comfortable, homogenous life. Like, on one sense, that does work, and it does create a certain amount of comfort. But I think it's interesting because I think that underneath that, under the apparent um, privilege and comfort, I think there's actually a real impoverishment that happens. I think there's a real missing out that happens. Um, you know, the air in a bubble is really stale, and uh, there's a lot of just mediocrity, just simmering unhappiness and boredom, and um, just really being cut, being numb. I think just being cut off from a lot of the richness um, that would come from kind of troubling some of those categories a little bit. So I just wanted to point that out to you that even the vagina management, right, like comes with its own suffering. Yeah. It does, and that, that's another interesting level as we are trying to explore this in the DPP program and at Spirit Rock. Um, framing it even as privilege, it, you can even examine it and say it's actually, it comes with a kind of privilege because there are definitely benefits that come, but then they, there are expenses. I point to one of the um, psychological studies where they took a room full of people, college students, and then they created an arbitrary preference about eye color. And they just said, okay, we're just going to divide up the room, those people with these eye colors, you now get to make the choices. People who don't have this eye color have to be kind of subservient to whatever choices are made. So you think, like, that's a win for the people who have those eye colors. But now they actually have to manage that type of strain, of that elevation, and you think it's a win, but then there's a group of people now that have been alienated, and then that relationship is now stressful, and that stress wasn't in there. And so you, you can think about um, infants that don't know yet these standards, and they don't stress about it. Or um, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of things on the internet, but showing this, uh, this, this white cat and this black cat napping together, it's just... Fur color is just not on their radar. <laughs> so there's no stress in that system. But is this cat mean to me or not? That may be something worth looking at. But fur color is not, it's not helpful. So why would skin color end up being helpful? We're creating stress where there doesn't need to be stress. Why does gender have to cause a um, dominance? Why does gender get binary and then cause stress for people who don't um, conform into that binary system? Why uh, are left-handed people considered somewhat deficient to the right-dominated world? All these things don't actually help, but they do create stress because they create division. And relieving ourselves of the division, the outcome is healthy and relieving, but the changing of the pattern is stressful. And you can see this in a lot of uh, conservative um, TV, where there's a lot of kind of like blaring, you know, we're no longer white dominant, and there's something happening to our America. And um, there's stress, there's stress, and there's stress thinking that this is a Christian nation when it's not. But when you're a dominant group and you feel like the dominance is eroding, the outcome, the pluralist outcome, is probably something quite wonderful. But it's the change from the, the comfort of the way things are 
becoming uncomfortable and then actually finding relief. On that note, we can draw our evening to a conclusion. I'd like to dedicate the merit of the day. Um, you can go on uh, many 10-day retreats and never get to explore Vedana like you have today. Yet it's actually a crucial, it plays a crucial role in Buddhist psychology. So my hat's off to you all for jumping into this topic and exploring it. And hopefully uh, gaining some intuition about how this factor of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral has played out in your mind stream. And you can continue to explore it. May that investigation be liberating for you and be helpful for you, the efforts you put in today. And may it also uh, affect those around you as you tune into uh, the stream of your own heart, as you interact with others, interact with your environment. And may it ripple out and touch countless beings uh, without you even knowing it. May that be the benefit and the fruit of our practice today. Enjoy or don't. (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.